and, and here we are getting to see you again this morning. This is fun. What a, what a blessing that the church family can enter into each other's celebrations, sometimes sorrows, but, but just be a church family. So church, thank you for blessing our young people. And uh, yesterday we saw Joseph and Grace graduate. Uh, we have four more graduating this week. Uh, so pray for our graduates. Um, but what a blessing. What a blessing that uh, we can just celebrate as a church family. This morning we're looking at Samuel. And Samuel is is his powerful book, and I really wish, one of these days, I'm going to have to come back and just preach through Samuel verse by verse. It is powerful. But, but as we begin in Samuel, we see, well, pretty much the same pattern of the book of Judges at the beginning. We see the cycle of sin that, that was prevalent throughout Judges continuing as we open the pages of Samuel. In fact, Judges ends this way, if you remember. The very last book, verse there says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Did you see that? Now you did. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And in those days, there was no king. You know, they had a king, but they were choosing not to follow him. God was their king, but they had rejected him. Living life as they please. Thank goodness man doesn't do that anymore, right? We never just live life as we please and fail to recognize in our hearts, our minds, and our attitudes that God is king. You're going to begin to see this emphasis as we look at, at Samuel, but Samuel doesn't begin with a king. In fact, it begins and we look at Eli and his sons and there, Eli's judging Israel, but doing a horrible job of it, similar to the previous judges. And he and his sons, as they, they judge Israel, well, it's very evident God is not pleased. And onto the scene comes a woman. Her name is Hannah. She's a wonderful study, especially for those Mother's Day messages, but even more so a study of faith and prayer. And Hannah goes before the Lord in prayer. She's not able to have children, but she pleads with God, please, God, give me a son, and if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And on the scene comes her son, Samuel. Samuel's an amazing man. Samuel is a man who will judge Israel. And as he judges, he will lead the people back to God. Samuel is, is the first of the great prophets. And as he speaks, he speaks the very oracles of God. Faithful and true to deliver every word as God has declared. And Samuel, as we'll see, is a kingmaker. 
He will anoint two kings in his lifetime under the direction of God. An amazing man. And Samuel begins to lead the nation back to God. It's his namesake that this book is given. And I want to give us an overview of this book. It's, we need an overview because otherwise we'd be here for a while. But Samuel is, is an amazing book. And you're probably going, are we doing 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel? We're actually looking at Samuel. Originally, Samuel was written as one book. But it was so big... And so long, they had to divide it up in two so they could have separate scrolls. You just, that would be a massive scroll. So they had 1 Samuel, so you knew you read that scroll first. And then they had 2 Samuel, which was continuing on the second scroll. This morning, we're looking at the book of Samuel. And I, and I thought about this, should I break it up? Should I do a sermon on 1 Samuel and a sermon on 2 Samuel? That would have been a little easier but remember, we're looking at what is the overview? What are we learning about God, ourselves, and, and where is this in the overarching theme? Well, it's one book, so the overarching theme would still be the same. You don't want two back-to-back sermons of the same thing. So we're going to look at Samuel as a whole today. Because the purpose of this book, the purpose God has given us this, and what we see is, is all combined in First and Second Samuel. So we're going to refer to those as the book of Samuel today, okay? The writing of Samuel covers well over a hundred years. A lot happens in that time. And, and on each bookend of, of this, we begin with a transition from, from Judges, where they had no king, and it begins with a song. It's going to be the song of Hannah. And it closes and recaps everything that happens in that time with a poem, a poem written by King David. It's beautiful when you look at this poem and the song together and how it just depicts this, this book in such a beautiful way. both of them as you read them and i'd encourage you to take time today or this week to read that song we're going to read it here in just a minute in that poem but notice how god is central we're going to span well over a hundred years but god is the central figure Keep that in mind as, as we look at that. I want you to join with me in, in 1 Samuel there. That just helps you find it. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah has seen God do an amazing work, and she is going to write a song here that declares God's glory. Listen to her words of this song. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice 
in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And with him actions are weighed. The, the bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for, is for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones. But the wicked ones are silenced in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. What a powerful song. I mean, as you look at this, as we look at the overview of, of Samuel, as we look at this song, it just, it beautifully depicts what is going to happen as we look through the pages of the, this book. And as she is declaring here, it is the Lord who is key, the Lord who is doing the work. Think about it in verses 1 and 2. God is incomparable. Is your God incomparable? When you try to describe them, do words just, are they fleeting? Think about it. She, she says, he alone gives true strength. How many of you need strength? Have felt weak? He is beyond comparison. It's amazing. He's given us creation. And there's still nothing in creation that compares to our God. In verses 3 through 8, he's a God of reversals. How many of you have ever needed a God of reversals in your life? Regrets. Hurt. Sin. He's a God of, of reversals. She declares, don't result, resort to, to your own strength. It's false. It's, it's fleeting. 
And really all it does is bring about our own boasting. When we're strong, we're like, woohoo, look at me. When we're weak and, and we're able to make it, we're like, look at God. Paul would say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because we rely on this God. He's capable. And Yahweh, the creator, is the source. It's he who is the source of the, the reversals in our life, the reversals of regret, the reversal of sin, hurt. He's able to turn that around, and he does that for Hannah in such a beautiful way. And then praising God as judge. That's, that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Have you ever wanted God to judge and judge sin? Oh, I do every time until it's mine. And then I want grace. But God is a God who judges. He punishes the wicked. He sees the sin. And He will bring low those who are prideful. And we see this through the narrative of, of Samuel. And she closes with an interesting statement. Because remember, you're still in the time of the judges. And she declares that God's the one who gives strength to the king. What king? Well, they were anticipating one. God had already promised one would come. And here in her song is the first time we, we see the phrase, the anointed one. Soon it would be synonymous with the anointed one and the Messiah. She's looking ahead to one who would rule. And her hope and her strength and her confidence is there. As we consider what Hannah says in her song, what she says about God, it will prepare us for what follows in the timeline and events of Samuel. I wish I could go into detail of some of the events in Samuel. It's an amazing um, timeline. Samuel, for, for a long while in his life, into his old age, leads Israel and he prepares the people to go back to God. An amazing man, an amazing prophet. But the people, the people's hearts are still wicked. The people's hearts are wrapped up in this world. Look at, look at verses uh, 6 and 7 of chapter 8. So many tabs. There it is. Look at the hearts of the people. They're crying out. They say, we want a king. We don't want God. We want a king. We want God to be our token, our mascot, but we want a king. Breaks Samuel's heart. Verse 8, but the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen. Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, 
but they have rejected me from being king over them. Can you imagine the heart of God breaking as his people reject him as their king? I could think of many times in my life where I have wanted someone, something else other than God to be ruler and authority in my life, in my heart. And how that must break his heart. But God gives the people what they want. It's a scary thing when God gives you what you want sometimes. Be careful what you ask for. He may give it to you. And he gives them Saul. Saul looked good. He looked like a king. Head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome. And on the outside, at the beginning, he looked humble. He looked like a king. He walked like a king. When he would go into battle, he had victories. That's what we want, isn't it? And God gave the people what they want. But like the people's hearts who were arrogant and prideful, so was the heart of their king. And this king would grow in disobedience to the Lord. Kind of a picture like the people. God would reject Saul after that disobedience. Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, 14 records this. But now your kingdom, as God talks to Saul, now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself, look at this, a man after his own heart. Saul, your heart was where the people were, but I'm going to look for a king after my own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Obedience. Obedience. And on the scene comes David. David is a really, really cool figure in Scripture. Did you know there's more chapters dedicated to the life of David than Abraham, Joseph, I mean, all these other individuals, Elijah. I mean, David is spoken of much more. A fascinating individual to look at. But he comes on, and he's the youngest of eight boys. In fact, he's forgotten by his father, left out there. He's a shepherd. He's from the tribe of Judah. And if you remember, back when Isaac was, was on his deathbed, he blessed Judah, saying, the scepter, the ruler, will not pass from you. What a beautiful thing. And here we see this young man coming from the tribe of Judah. He makes his big entry onto the pages of Scripture and on the scene of Israel with David versus Goliath, a little shepherd boy and a mighty warrior, right? And we saw how God just won that victory in a powerful way. God sets on the stage this young man, David. The people love David. Oh, he won their hearts, he won battles. 
Jonathan, Saul's son, became David's absolute best friend. There's few friendships in Scripture that knit those two so close together. Back to back, arm in arm. But Saul grows jealous. If jealousy is something you struggle with, I, I encourage you to do a study on Saul. See how God views it. See what jealousy does within the heart of an individual. The poison and the rot that begins to happen internally. Tries to kill him in war, but God gives him victory in battle. Tries to manipulate him in marriage, but his daughter loves David. He tries to throw a spear at him, but he misses. Time and time again, this King Saul threatens David, tries to kill him throughout the pages of Scripture. David, the shepherd, is on the lamb for years. Over and over and over. Patiently waiting for God's timing. Talk about patience. You, you should look at, at the patience of David in this. Told he would be king. Anointed as king. Patiently waiting for God's timing. Time and time again, this, this warrior David could have taken the life of Saul numerous times. And we see the anguish of his heart as we read the Psalms. Many of the Psalms, over half the Psalms are written by David and most of them are written on this, during this time when he's on the run. And his heart cries out to God. He's waiting, uncertain of what tomorrow holds. It's no wonder we love going to the Psalms because here is a man who has the heart after God's. And he's patient, waiting. Saul, on the other hand, spirals out of control. His rage and anger consumes him. Even in the end, he pursues a witch rather than God. Looking to evil rather than righteousness. And Saul... And his son Jonathan die in battle. The narrative moves on though. As the narrative goes on, David takes the throne. David wins his victories. He, he conquers Jerusalem. Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel. And as he takes the capital, he brings the Ark of the Covenant back in worship. And it's beautiful, it's wonderful. You know what David wants to do? More than anything, God has been so good to him. He is at the pinnacle of his, his career as king. His throne is in Jerusalem. And he looks to God and he says, God, you've given me all this. You've given me a kingdom, a palace. I want to make a house for you, Lord. A house of worship. What a noble thing. And God says, David, 
Nope. Not you. Not you. But look what he says. Chapter 7. Oh, we're in 2 Samuel now. A little time has gone on. But look what God says to, to David. He goes, no, you're a man of war. You're not going to build my house. It says in verse 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's a long time. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him. As I, look, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. David, your sons will sin. I will correct their sin. But I will not take the throne. Look at verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. What a promise. God, I want to build a house for you. God says, no, David, I'm going to establish your house. I'm going to establish your throne and it will be forever. What are you saying, God? God is saying there will be one who will sit on the throne who will be God himself. The very Son of God will take that throne one day, the Messiah, the Anointed One. How cool is that? And David didn't throw a pity party. You know what he did? He actually rejoices over this. He is humbled by this. God, why would you do this for me? He says, fine, if my son's going to build the temple, I am going to get everything ready that I can. And he collects everything. He gets the materials. He gets it prepared. Oh, what an amazing testimony. I want to just say this. Oh, man, I got a really cruise here. But I want to say this one thing. You know what? Sometimes we screw up. We sin. We, we do things in our life that God's like, you know what? I, I can use you, but not in this way, but I want you to prepare the next generation. Get the next generation ready. And you know what? God is so good. You could come to David and you could elevate him so high. He could become your hero, your idol. But God is faithful to record that he was a man, his failures. David and his failure, his failures would really be at home where he would take on multiple wives. We see polygamy in Scripture, folks. It never turns out well. And it wrecks David's home. We see the downfall in his home. A great and mighty king. One of his sons rapes his half-sister. 
And the brother of that sister is upset, rightfully so, and he goes and murders his brother. You talk about division within a home. Absalom, after murdering his half-brother, he's so angry, he goes and tries to take the kingdom from David. Sin within the home has impacts that stretch out. Don't think the sin in your home won't impact the family of God. It won't impact your neighbors. It won't impact your work. Sin always has an impact. And we see Absalom killed. We see David, when he should have been out to war, get comfortable. Church, don't get comfortable. And in his comfort, he looks out and he begins to, to glory in his kingdom and he counts. Because look what I have. And pride creeps into this man who has a heart after God's own heart. But that's not God-like. And God says, no, I will not allow pride to come in. And there's punishment for that. David, when he should have been out to war, sees Bathsheba. He goes and has an affair with his friend's wife. This is a man that David knew well. And when she gets pregnant, he hides it, or tries to, and he has his best friend murdered on the battlefield. And God deals with him. And we see that. God doesn't hide the sins of mankind. But David has a soft heart. Acts declares, verse 22 of chapter 13, after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. How do we look at a man who does these things, has an affair, murders his friend, glories in himself and his kingdom, his accomplishments? Says, look at me. Because David is faithful to go back to God and repent. We see under David that Nope, not that slide. There, there we go. That under David at the beginning, we see 12 tribes doing whatever they feel is right in their own eyes. At the end, we see a united kingdom under this king. And God uses David. There's a beautiful contrast, so many different contrasts. But as we look at the overarching theme, of this book of Samuel. And I want you to hear this, church. God remains the central figure in disobedience. When we stray from His Word, His command, disobedience is punished. But obedience is blessed.
We see that in this, that God is one who opposes the proud. And the arrogance of Saul, the arrogance of, of Eli's sons, God will punish that. He will bring them low. And Saul goes low. But we see a humble heart lifted up. A shepherd boy made a king. Look at, look at the contrast of these two men real quick. By the way, these were men. Don't over-spiritualize these individuals as, oh, they're saints. These were men. They had families, they had fears, they had struggles. Saul was the people's choice after their heart. David, however, was God's choice after his heart. Saul, a proud, arrogant man. God dealt with that. David, humble. But look at this. When they sinned, and both of them sinned, and it's interesting, when you put it on the scale of humanity, we would probably weigh David's sin <clears throat> heavier. What? He slept with his best friend's wife. Shame. He had multiple wives. Shame. He murdered his best friend. Shame. Saul. You know what he did? He kept the spoils after a battle. Well, I mean, sure. I mean, and then Saul said, well, you know, I was going to use those for worshiping you, God. I mean, saving the best for you. Shame. See the difference? Saul, in his sin, would make excuse after excuse after excuse. Elevating himself. God, I was doing this for you. God, I was worshiping you. Look how good I am. David, when he, he would fall before the Lord on his face. Say, oh God, I'm wretched. I need you. Forgive me, I sinned. That's the heart God wants. Pride and humility are contrasted so powerfully in the hearts. See, we look at the outside, God looks at the heart. Disobedience. Well, all he did was disobey. All Adam and Eve did was eat the fruit. They just disobeyed. Church, it's time we start calling sin, sin. When we disobey God, it's sin. And David recognized sin as sin, and he repented. You know, we started with Hannah's song. Looking at God, keeping God central. I'm skipping a few slides for those in the back there. <laughs> but 
we come to David's poem. It's a long poem. It's even longer in Psalm 18. You see the same poem there. But it's interesting when we look at that poem that David writes. David reflects on all the events that have occurred in his life. The events of, of the, the battles, the victories. Rising to king, his, his downfall. All of those events and he puts those in the background. And to the foreground he looks at what God has done. Isn't that what we should do in our life? All those events, and we bring to the forefront that God, through it all, has been divinely working in his life. God has been the one who has elevated him. God has been the one who gave him victories. God has been the one who has given grace and forgiveness. And all of those events are just a backdrop to elevate and look at God. And David, as he looks back, he sees a sovereign God. This poem is powerful as we look at that. And when we look at this poem, when we view it through the narrative, we see all of David's sin. But when we look at it through this poem and this song, we see God. We see his forgiveness, his work. What events has he allowed in your life? If you were to write Samuel for your life, what is the backdrop that should bring glory and honor to God? He closes this poem in a beautiful foreshadowing of the anointed one, the Messiah. It's beautiful. We begin... No, it's not up there. That's all right. You can picture it. We begin the book of Samuel with a poem that looks to a king coming. We end the book of Samuel with David on the throne looking to the one who will come and sit on that throne. And he's the king. He's the king. It's interesting, we begin Samuel and says, there was no king. And there wasn't. But mark this, God was still God. God had never left his throne. God had never lost control. And he will never cease to be God. You read through the narrative of this book of Samuel and you see the downfalls, you see the, the high mountain peaks of victories, and you see a sovereign God controlling all of it. Even when the people wanted a, a king after their heart, God was faithful to bring in one after his. God is sovereign. And God still demands obedience. Hear that, church. God demands obedience. He set in place His way, 
His plan, and you and I are to obey it. No excuses. And guess what? Sin? Still sin. Look at one, one last verse here. Chapter 12, 2 Samuel, verse 13. Nathan has just pointed out his sin with Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah. Then David said to Nathan, listen to this, I have sinned against the Lord. Wait a minute, didn't he have an affair with Bathsheba? Wait a minute, didn't he kill Uriah? He sinned against the Lord? All sin is against God Almighty. Don't belittle it by thinking, oh, it's just against so-and-so. I don't really think much of them anyway. No, all sin is against God. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, this is beautiful. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin and you shall not die. It is God who takes away sin. And the one who would come to sit on the throne would take away that sin. Our actions matter. Our actions, whether good or evil, matter. God demands our obedience. But whether, whether we're a king, whether we're a president, whether we're a governor, a man, a woman, or a shepherd boy, God deals with sin. The law of, of sowing and reaping is beautiful where Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. This God is watching. And I am grateful today that, that whoever sits on the thrones, whoever's in the Oval Office, whoever's in the governor's seat, God remains God. And God is a sovereign God who is in full and complete control. And here's the thing. He's seeking a relationship with you and me. And he made that relationship happen through his son, Jesus Christ, who one day will return, one day will sit on the throne of David and rule. And right now, he wants to rule in your heart and mind, in your life and actions and mine. No excuses. Let's pray. God, Samuel, wow, what a book. God, you are working. God, you are aware. God, that is comforting and scary all at the same time. That you know my heart, you know my actions. God, may we be fully aware of who you are, that you are a sovereign God who still works today. But, oh God, may we also be aware that in our sin, we can come to you, and God, you forgive. 
Our sin was evil enough that you would have to send your son to die on a cross. It was great enough that you would rise again victorious that we may live. Oh God, we want to live for you. I pray that you would embolden your people to do so. God, that with our lives, our actions, our heart, we would elevate you on the throne that you sit on and rule from. God, that we would remember that you are God and you've never ceased to be. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join me as we close our service with an old chorus.